Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Deeper Listening Podcast. My name is John Prue, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't. And you know we're not music experts, but we're certainly music nerds, middle-aged dads who enjoy discovering new music. In this episode, we're going to be digging into the war on drugs. We'll use the idea of deeper listening to track the band's music across the first four albums, from their late aughts debut to their indie darling dominance in the mid-2010s. The band's fifth album drops in late October. Now, I'm like pretty familiar with the war on drugs. I know they mean personally a lot to John, but to make sure this episode is indie enough and make sure it's dad enough, we're calling in our heavy hitter, our buddy Brian Brinkman from Osiris, whether it's producing Undermine, hosting Day After, Fish Analysis with the Helping Friendly Podcast on Tour, or hanging with Beyond the Pond buddy Dave on the drop. Brian walks the walk and literally talks the talk. Welcome, Brian. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me. We are super happy that you are here. Uh, let's do some deeper listening into the war on drugs. Step aside, Wilco. This band is the late 2010s and now early 2020s epitome of indie dad rock. I mean, we're all here talking about them. This hits all my feels as a listener when I want to sort of turn introspective. I love the war on drugs, repetitive grooves. It's like comfort food. And it has been cool doing all of this deeper listening to hear their sound evolve from acoustic guitar based music to fuzzy overblown guitar tones across their discography. But Brian, I know that you take my knowledge of the war on drugs and my emotional connection to the war on drugs and, and you run with it at full speed. The war on drugs are a band that kind of, they epitomize everything I look for in music. I came upon them in 2011 when slave ambient was introduced to me by my brother, which is an important note because the war on drugs hold a very important family place in my in my heart and in my soul i think on a personal level what the war on drugs do is they showcase music from the 1980s when i was born and heartland rock where rock was at this very big turning point in the 1980s that a lot of people didn't like at the time to the kind of needs uh, within larger indie rock of today where it's really hard to survive as a singular band and having a frontman who is a creative driving force has a bunch of musicians around him um, is able to swap in music and sounds and ideas kind of as needed uh, throughout an evolving career. They've kind of charted 40 years of rock history in a way that's, that's really, really fascinating to me. And I'm just really excited to dive in and talk, talk more about them with you guys. Well, we're uh, we're certainly happy to have your uh, your expertise here, and uh, I know that certainly a lot of people have been introduced to the war on drugs uh, as a result of, of you and uh, and you know and, and of Dave. There was actually a moment for me when I first started listening to Beyond the Pond, which you guys were a part of, and or actually you guys were, you know, and and when I listened to that podcast, I was like, wait a second, there's other people that enjoy this as much as I do. And that was a really cool discovery because nobody else that I knew listened to the war on drugs, and I listened to. Yeah, I mean, I, I discovered Slave Ambient um, in a mix on Pandora. Uh, Baby Missiles oh, wow. was the first song yeah. that I ever that I ever found, 
and uh, immediately put it on a running list. It's a great song to run to. And, um, you know, and then when Lost in the Dream came out, I'll tell the story a little bit later, but that was like a huge moment for me. And I thought that it was kind of a singular experience that I was having. And that's certainly not the case. Uh, but this, but this band for me, it's really come to epitomize the type of music that I've grown to seek out and appreciate as an older person. You know, it's brilliant songwriting. It's thoughtfully constructed albums that both serve as, as great individual songs, but really just great whole pieces of music. You know, this band to me has a way of both being kind of transcendent and also being completely accessible and feeling like, you know, feeling like it's been with me my entire life. You know, it, it feels like they are kind of the natural evolution of a lot of music that's been going on for a long time but at the same time really feel like it's just a very fresh take on all of it. For me, it's it's sometimes when you hear a band that you, and you realize it's something that you both instantly love. And it's also something when I heard it, I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be important to me. Um, You know, and and I think that music does, you know, has a way of, of kind of getting into your soul right away. And this was one of those bands for me, Um, you know, and even with them playing Madison square garden coming up and you know, coming up in January, um, you know, it's, they still feel underappreciated, underappreciated to me for some reason. This is a great example of like what the idea of deeper listening is all about, because I had heard of the war on drugs and listened to the war on drugs, appreciated the war on drugs. But until the last like three, four weeks where I listened to each of these albums five, 10 times in succession, then on repeat so they could really soak in like my appreciation for this band has really risen a lot in the last few weeks. Uh, And I feel like I've gotten some insights into how their sound has evolved and that's helped me appreciate them a little bit more. This has been a fun project to really learn a lot about. Brian, have you, I know the answer here, but uh, you've seen the war on drugs a time or two. What about you, John? I have not actually. So this, uh, this upcoming Madison square garden show will be my first. I, uh, I had tickets to go see them in, uh, in Philadelphia a couple of runs ago during the New Year's run, and all my buddies went to go see fish, and I decided to do that instead. And, you know, I saw a great fish show, but at the same time, yeah. you know, it was one of those things where you're a little torn about what to do. They're an interesting live band in the sense that um, their sound at its heart is so meticulously produced in the studio, and it's so overworked throughout a studio i think one of the one of the things that continuously fascinates me about them and what has made them a band that i continuously go back to is how much they've taught me about an era of music that i had no interest in listening to up until i was 25 26 when i really got interested introduced to the war on drugs and that's the 1980s and specifically the careers of bob dylan and neil young as they moved into the 1980s um growing up my dad's records for both those artists basically stopped in the late 1970s and then picked up again in the 1990s and any behind the music you'd watch or any documentary you'd watch on those artists spent two minutes talking about them in total and really kind of just bowled over that it was, ah, it was a lost year for the or lost uh, decade for those artists and the war on drugs showcased through their studio work, you know, where technology was going in the 1980s and where it's come in the late aughts, early 2010s. And then they take that sound and somehow reproduce it in a live setting in a way that sounds incredibly tight. It doesn't lose any of the studio quality, but it also sounds fit for a live stage in a way that um, I don't really know many bands that are able to like take that studio sound and reproduce it in such a, such a powerful way. So, you know, there's, 
the historical side to to listening to them, but there's also, as you're pointing out, the live side. They're just such a, a emotionally impactful live band when you see them. The album Live Drugs came out this year, which we're not going to get super deep into, but I will say that as like the icing on the cake for this project, I did dip into Live Drugs again after having listened to it when it came out, but I had a, a deeper appreciation, you know, really intimately knowing all of the songs and yeah, so tight in the live setting. want to get into wagon wheel blues 2008 i mean this is like a different era of indie music when i think 2008 i think oh that's the year after 2007 which is like the indie you know explosion at least in my musical listening history with animal collective and you know panda bear and person pitch so the fact that this was happening just the next year uh, the sound can be to me described as like organic and jangly it's acoustic it's it's overblown but it just it feels really natural and perhaps one of my favorite war on drugs tracks is literally the album opener to their debut album arms like boulders it's it's stunning just the way that the harmonica comes together with the acoustic guitar it just feels so natural What a phenomenal debut album, even though it leaves so much room for the band to grow and their sound really evolves. I mean, with the albums that we'll talk about going forward, it doesn't sound a lot like Wagon Wheel Blues, but there's so much to sink your teeth into here. I think you, you hit a lot of it. It's, it's War on Drugs Without a Budget. You know, it's this is Adam and Kurt kind of figuring out where the boundaries are and how to go beyond their their equipment in 2007 and the two of them were making a ton of records at the time adam was on most kurt vile records uh through the late aughts i think that his last record on kurt for kurt vile was um smoke ring for my halo but it may have been childish prodigy um i actually saw adam play with kurt vile and the violators at pitchfork fest in 2010 it was my first time being introduced to him um although i didn't know who he was at the time but he was playing backup guitar you know, they're they're reaching for these massive hooks. They're reaching for where's the edge of the studio? How do we get beyond this? There's a lot of layering. There's a lot of subtle like ideas happening within there. You mentioned the harmonica and arms like boulders. Like they're already thinking, how do we take a sonic idea and just blow it up in your face in a way that's both melodic, but also just really impactful from like a just a vibrational standpoint. There's like this earnestness to them as well that like you talk about the indie explosion of 2007 LCD sound system sound is silver uh, a year prior you had um, uh, Grizzly Bears Yellow House Arcade uh-huh. Fire puts out Neon Bible in 2007 Animal Collective P- Panda Bear um, you know there's not so much irony in those songs as like not really exploring any sort of emotion and really just like a splattering of ideas and kind of um, a lot of like critical thought about Bush era politics and like foreign policy and 
kind of where America was in 2007. And then you enter in Adam Grandshield and there's suddenly all of this earnestness uh, in him. The one thing I'll say uh, is that it's really important to note the Barrel of Batteries EP, which came right before um, Wagon Wheel Blues. It features a rough cut of arms like boulders, as well as Buenos Aires Beach, which would uh, reappear later, um, as well as segments like Toxic City, number 26, which would showcase kind of where the band would go further. But this album for me, you've got the big swings, Arms Like Boulders, A Needle in Your Eye, number 16, and Show Me the Coast. I don't think that they can fully communicate who they want to be at this point because they don't have a budget. They're just like, it's very DIY, but you're hearing them just like, you know, there's distorted harmonicas. There's these drums that just sound all encompassing uh, multiple guitar channels. It's, it's them stacking as many sounds as possible in a way that sounds rough to your ears initially when you're listening to it, but it foreshadows where the band's going. And I, I just have such a thing for a record that, and we'll get into this when we talk about Lost in the Dream, but I have such a thing for a record that sounds greater than what an artist is capable of making and just hints at ambition, regardless the fact that they're living in a, you know, small apartment in Philadelphia or, you know, living with buddies and like doing whatever they can in the middle of like whatever job that, you know, whatever day job they have to make a record. So I, I love the vibe of this. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you had put in your notes was like was to imagine if Needle in Your Eye was number sixteen on Lost in the Dream, mm. and you know, and, and I and I thought about that and I was like, oh yeah, you know, and then so actually, so I went and played Lost in the Dream and then played that right afterwards, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like I mean, that, yeah, it really it really does, you know, this is the album in their catalog that I probably have spent the least amount of time with, uh, you know, but every time that I get into it. I, you know, I, I like it more and more. I've never, I've never disliked it, but it's just, it hasn't been one that I've spent a ton of time with, but it reminds me in kind of a strange way. It reminds me a little bit of like murmur and it reminds me of talking head 77. And the, what I mean by that is not necessarily by the, even the feel of the album, but more exactly what you were talking about. It's like this almost like unbridled potential of what, of what these bands were going to become. And I know that I'll probably have some REM fans that'll have something to say to me about saying that Murmur was potential and not their best album. Cause I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've certainly had that argument online before, but um, to me, it's like, that's really what you hear in this is, is the foreshadowing of, of what's to come. You know, I hear Bob Dylan all over this album. Um, yeah. You know, even as a somewhat occasional Dylan listener myself, you know, I really only listen to Bob Dylan when somebody else is playing it. So I apologize to you. I know you're a huge fan you know, but the influence is all over this album. It's totally undeniable. And I hear a lot of other elements too. Like I hear like the birds and I hear the heartbreakers and I hear, you know, I hear that all that kind of, you know, basically like these nods of influence, but it's never really more than that. And it's something it's like uniquely their own thing. Um, You know, and, and to me, it's almost has like a, like a cinematic vibe, right? Like, especially in the middle part of the album, the, the mental imagery that I can think of is take any song on this album and put a scene in a movie where somebody is driving a car through a wheat field at sunset. Any one of those songs would work perfectly with that, with that scene. 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I think about when I think of this album, every time that I revisit it, you know, I, I appreciate it more and more. And it was, uh, it was really fun to get into it. I was just going to say, it's interesting you you bring up the driving imagery that you have, because we'll talk about it on the next record. That is like an immediate, when I was first introduced to them, that was an immediate fixation for me, was that this is a kind of album that I'm going to put on in the car and I'm going to be driving someplace. And that sentiment is something that has never been lost with the war on drugs. And I almost feel like, I remember reading before uh, Deeper Understanding uh, came out that Adam spent six months before he ever was like this album's ready it's ready for release let's start releasing singles driving around to la listening to it and it's the kind of thing that like you just have to be in that mindset to have some of these lyrics that he writes really kind of drift into you and like you know hit you in the way that they're supposed to and hear that kind of you know backing riff that comes in just at the right time out of your left speaker you know just hit you in in that moment and i think that there's just something inherently if there's anything truly intentional about what these guys tried to do from the earliest onset of their career, it was to make music that you could drive to. Well, well done. I mean, you know, and, and, and all of these albums are, are, are great for that. And it's, and that's certainly the mental imagery that, that it brings up for me is, you know, it, and I, to me, it almost feels cinematic, you know, it almost yes. feels like it's, you know, like it was cast for, you know, for film, which is pretty cool. Yeah. He's really great at painting a lush picture. I, uh, Will Venmo you guys, or actually I'll have my wife Venmo uh, you guys, because I don't have Venmo, $20 if you know the uh, alternate uh, name for the band, War on Drugs, because that's something Adam came up with when he was living in Oakland, uh, I had read about, um, but then he was like, I need to get back to Philadelphia. Any guesses? (laughs) I have no idea, Brian. I have no idea. I'm blanking on this. Rigatoni Danza. Yeah, they, they went with the right name. Right. Yeah, I'm very glad that they did not choose that name. For right. Exactly, because, and he has said, War on Drugs is like this all-encompassing term, but it doesn't necessarily pigeonhole the music in any one specific direction, which I think is a good lead-in uh, to 2011's Slave Ambient. For me, this is the album where they are most sort of pushing and pulling and discovering new sounds while wagon wheel blues is pretty pretty on brand uh with the sonic palette i found slave ambient to kind of not be all over the place but to go in a few different directions it's fuzzy it's synthy uh, groovy in spots uh there's a little more emotional heft uh in that there are some like slower moments it's funny that the opening two tracks of this album were my favorite two tracks on this album. And to me really almost like looked to the future of what the war on drugs sound was going to evolve into. And I'm talking about best night and brothers. It's just that triple threat combo of textured guitar sounds, but also some piano. And we get a little more like purposeful drum that's pushing the momentum forward at the beginning of slave ambient. 
first listened to the war on drugs, probably, I think I probably heard deeper understanding first. So for me, this was all kind of in hindsight, whereas I believe for some of you guys, this was maybe your first exposure to the band. Yeah. My brother sent me this album in late summer, early fall, 2011. I was living in Portland and um, he was just like, this is, this album sounds like everything that dad turned us on to. And uh, this is like, this is, where the war on drugs entered into my life. I was similar to you in the sense that like listening to this record, it sounds like they're still tinkering in a lot of cases and they're going to tinker until lost in the dream. But in a lot of ways, this is where the war on drugs becomes the war on drugs, not to backtrack too, too far back, but just two shout outs to um, 2009's uh, childish prodigy by Kurt Vile, which is one of my favorite records of the last decade. One of my favorite records, or I guess now two decades ago. That's crazy. <laughs> um, one of my favorite records of 2009 um, Adams on that record. It kind of sounds like this bridge between wagon wheel blues and slave ambient. Um, the song freak train just sounds like it could be a war on drugs song, except it has Kurt howling on it. Um, I would also say the future weather EP, which came out about a year before slave ambient, um, coming through and brothers, uh, shine just kind of in this looser kind of structuralist, um, manner. That's my favorite take on the song brothers, but this, when I heard this for the first time, it tapped into a lot of what I've said thus far, just in terms of this reminded me of music I had heard, but also this opened my eyes up to there's gated drums, there's synthesizers. These are things that were kind of like a no, no. And, you know, again, Neil Young in our house, we listened to Neil Young harvest tonight's tonight, all the ditch trilogy. And then we kind of paused and we listened to harvest moon and ragged glory and, you know, everything that came in the nineties and the synthesizer effect was not something that we were ever going to be really listening to in the house. And here it is all over this record in such a beautiful way. Um, Best night instantly hooked me. That remains my favorite war on drug song. Um, wow. Like, like so much of their music. It just sounds like, like you were saying, John, it's a drive in your dreams. Um, it took me back the first time I heard it. I was just in rural Montana in my mind, you know, like I was, I was driving home from work in Portland and I was like transported. It felt like, and that effect that the band can have where they take you to another place which they will sing about on a song on a deeper understanding um, is just something that's so powerful um, of them. Uh, I saw the war on drugs in 2014 for the first time and I was actually, it was like an invite only small little show at a guitar shop, but it was a perfect place to see them. Um, and I got to meet Adam and I asked him to play the song and he was like, we don't really play this, but we'll try it tonight. They opened up with it and it was just gorgeous. I absolutely love that. Um, that's incredible, by the way. Let me interrupt yeah, you yeah, and just say yeah. that is like a, a, a Drew hits Mike's song, Second Jam, 2015 <laughs> in Nashville situation. Like you must have been uh, like pooping your pants in the audience at the big show after, you know, seeing the intimate invite only guitar shop show. Like, well done. It was pretty powerful. And I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to Lost in the Dream, but like that, that record at that time in my life came at just like a very powerful moment to, to then meet them, get my favorite song played at a show. It was just, you know, it added to the 
not only the mystique, but the humanization of the band and, and to the, you know, desire to um, just continually follow them and dedicate time and, you know, so much time to them. Legitimately, that's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. So, <laughs> so congratulations. That's so awesome. <laughs> it was it was great. One thing I'll just add, just thoughts on the final thoughts on this from my end. Um the the suite in the middle of the record, City, Destiny, City, kind of feels like a preview of the side of the second side of Lost in the Dream. Um, and and more so on what Adam would capitalize on and thinking of a place. Um I ultimately fell off with this record after listening to it. I play it occasionally um, throughout the next year or two, but ultimately in the time felt too nostalgic. It lacked this like forward looking sound that I wanted from music at the time. I was listening to a lot of, um, I guess like animal collective and like Panda bear, especially were probably my favorite artists at the time. And this felt like it was reverting back to some period in my life how wrong I was and I will get into it with the next record, but, but what are your gentlemen's thought? What are you guys thoughts? Well, I, I just want to interject and say that, that city come for it. It's your destiny city reprise number 12. To me, that made me think of like M83 and like indie bands from the late aughts sure. that were looking back to the eighties. And I think that has a lot to do with the synths that are involved. interesting how this album shape shifts like i said best night and brothers to me looks forward to the future sound and then we get the, almost the synthy 80s exploration in the middle of the album and then in my opinion baby missiles original slave blackwater falls the last three songs like could have been on wagon wheel blues like it's almost yeah. like a little bit of a of a throwback to that organic more acoustic more jangly sound but john i know like you were more familiar with this album than I was. I was sort of doing this all in retrospect. Yeah. So this one, uh, this was my introduction. And, you know, I was at this particular time, I had rediscovered discovering new music, if that makes sense. Mm. I had kind of gotten mm, yeah. away from the bubble of listening to only fish and the grateful dead. And, you know, and, and, <laughs> and then listening to the stuff that my dad introduced me to, which was, you know, Paul Simon and Neil Young and, you know, and, and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff too. And I just kind of got to a place to where I, I can remember it very vividly where I went to try to find a fish show to put on. And I was like, I don't want to listen to this right now. <laughs> and I threw on Pandora and, you know, and honestly, you, you'd mentioned Grizzly Bear earlier. I think that uh, that song two weeks was kind of a, maybe, maybe that was the right time. If I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, I kind of remember that song coming up and then building a Pandora station around that song. Mm-hmm. And that was where uh, I believe if I'm, if I'm remembering all this correctly, that's where baby missiles came in and it came up as a suggested thing. I immediately gave it the thumbs up. I was like, this is great. You know, and then went, yeah. went and sought that out. When I listened to this album, you know, Baby Missiles was the first thing. And then I went, I went back and listened to the rest of it. And I was like, I love all of this. And, you know, to me, Baby Missiles is kind of an anomaly on, on the record. It really doesn't sound like a whole lot else that, that's on it. 
Uh, and that normally is something that's a little bit jarring when you like, when you hear a single and then go back and the record sounds nothing like the single. But with this one, I was like, okay, I like the rest of this record probably more mm. than, than I like the single for me. It was very difficult to listen to this album then and now, especially now and not start thinking a lot about, you know, who they must've been listening to when they made it. Mm. And, you know, I hear so many influences that are in here. Um, you know, the production on this album really is, is, is a big step above Wagon Wheel. And I think, you know, to your point, they're starting to get a little bit of a budget when they did it. I really love a lot of the songs on this. You know, you, miss, you mentioned Best Night. I really like that one. Brothers, um, this is my personal favorite, you know, version of, of Brothers. And, you know, to me, it's like, this is their, like, Learning to Fly by Tom Petty. You know, like, mm. I see so many parallels between those two, two songs. Uh, you know, and then uh, Your Love is Calling My Name. You know, to me, the only thing that was going through my head when I was writing notes for the podcast, I was like, this is Springsteen on psychedelics, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, so, I mean, it was, it was so cool to, you know, to listen to it through that, through that lens. band is really clearly coming to their own in, in this record um they figure out how to weave the great songs into the soundscape it kind of like washes over you and to me the best way that i can describe it it's like a hug from grandma you know like like it really takes you in and you just feel good listening to this music um yeah. you know they allow the structure to, to, to melt away into these just unbelievable tapestries that they you know of sound that they're creating going back to this album and listening to it intently multiple times, I really, really found a lot of stuff in it that I love. When it's interesting, you know, the Bob Dylan comparisons come up with, I feel like the vocal delivery of Adam, but also like maybe the obliqueness of, of the lyrics, like you've, you've really got to listen and do some digging and then even just translate it to yourself and maybe try to figure out what it means to you. But I will say that the last track on slave ambient Blackwater falls was other than arms like boulders perhaps the first war on drugs song going chronologically where i was like whoa hold on wait a minute let me make a note of this the line you'll slowly lose faith in gravity and give up the urge to sway and charm and breathe for whatever reason it may just be a predisposition to depression but i was like wow this really speaks to me and there's some train imagery in the last song it's just he's really kind of coming into his own whereas maybe some of the other lyrics they're kind of uh choose your own adventure and they can mean whatever you want them to mean but it was a good sign that the last track on slave ambient was like kind of kind of hit me the hardest even though i'm not totally sure even what that all means
really good at album closers and I'm really, I'm really excited to hear what their album closer is going to be for um, their upcoming record. Um, I'm always debating if Blackwater Falls or In Reverse is the superior album closer. And it's, I, I, I never know. It's kind of the same debate of like Dylan's um, Desolation Row versus Side Eye Lady of the Lowlands, where like, or Highlands, like, um, or now Murder Most Foul, where he has these epic 17, 20 minute long album closers that are just some of the best songs he's ever written. And to your point, Justin, like, I think to me, Blackwater Falls is almost a goodbye to the first era the first chapter of the war on drugs and in in some cases like if i could offer any like critique of slave ambient it's that in some cases it sounds like there are well-crafted fully formed fully realized songs surrounded by ideas and the ideas kind of transition us from one place to another and rather than make another ep like a really strong ep i think he wanted to make a full length album and so you have these like transitional moments throughout the record that get you from point a to point b so on and so forth but like a lot of those ideas will no longer be utilized as just ideas going forward they'll actually be inserted into songs and built through songs which is why a lot of the song lengths as we go forward are going to expand to seven to nine minutes at times and that's going to kind of be the norm but blackwater falls is such an accomplishment for him and such a moment of almost looking at where he's at in his life i think at that point he was 33 or 34 perhaps And you got to imagine, you know, being in your early 30s, not making it as a rock star. You know, you could see the war on drugs at a club with like 35 other people, maybe 60 other people for not a lot of money. Around the same time, I was seeing Kurt Vile in small clubs in Portland and like he was not selling these places out. So, you know, from a overall career trajectory standpoint, I don't know if I've got to imagine closing this album with a song like this that that looks so inward at what exactly am i doing is there worth in what i'm doing was such a moment of like him looking at where he'd come since he started making these records in as the war on drugs in 2008 2007 um to where he is now and like what the unknown is going forward and he has no idea what the next three years are going to bring to him and that three years from now his life is going to completely change for a variety of reasons but you kind of hear that hesitation towards the end of slave ambient and it's pretty incredible. I don't know what happened in the three years between 2011 and 2014, but talk about an undeniably incredible accomplishment as we move forward and talk about Lost in the Dream. I mean, to me, this is just, and I loved all these albums, but this is heads and shoulders the best. That starts really right on the opening track of Lost in the Dream, which is my favorite track on the album. As the piano rings out, on Under the Pressure. And the sound has evolved a little bit more over the last few years. But we are holding on to what I kind of like the most about Slave Ambient, and that, that is like the, the crisp drums that yield and provide that forward momentum. But it's, it's just so incredible. Talk about anthemic. I mean, when he came up with this song, I'm sure immediately he was like, all right, this is, this is what's going to open the album. And for you guys 
to have already been a fan of the band or at least aware of the band to hear this music, I'm assuming as it came out, were your minds blown? Did you know immediately that this was like an incredible accomplishment? How did you guys sort of absorb this when you heard it for the first time? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So as I said, I, I kind of put slave ambient away. I moved back to South Korea in early 2013 and I had one of my closest friends in life was living there as well at the time. And we would just get together and stay up until four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, drinking the crappiest beer you've ever had in your entire life and talking music, (laughs) listening to music. And like, that was, that was where we had like our escape from this, you know, the work wasn't great over there. And like, you know, you're, you're just so far away from friends and family like you need that sort of outlet and i remember one night he was you know lecturing me on how crazy i was that i wasn't a huge fan of slave ambient and i was just like trying to explain myself not really making any sense um fast forward a couple of months i was in vietnam and i wasn't really paying attention to the war on drugs having a new record coming out my brother sent me an email my brother is a uh he and i I adore talking music with him and sharing music with him. He's one of my favorite people to go like through those conversations with and, and hear what he's listening to and share what I'm listening to. And he was like, it's a new war on drugs. You have to listen to this. And I downloaded it, put it on my iPod, went out for a run in Saigon. It was like my second or third morning there under the pressure comes on. And my immediate feeling like from the second the drums hit, you know, they, they go through that kind of sonic intro which was would have been in its own track on any previous record here. It's an intro to a song and the piano comes in. And I was just like, this is a completely different band. I have no idea what is happening here. Um, I have no idea how this band went from that album that was good to this album that already feels like an absolute masterpiece. So, so that was my introduction to it. I don't know that I, I don't know that I listened to this right when it came out or, you know, or realized, oh, you know, the War on Drugs have a new album. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it came to me. But part of that was because I heard this the first time when I was in the midst of an absolute like crisis in my life at the time. So this was 2014. So I was getting sober. I was going through a divorce. I was walking away from a job that I that I wanted to be good at, probably could have been good at. Um, but I couldn't get out of my own way because I had so many other things going on in my life. Um, you know, for me, this album represents every single emotion because I was feeling everything as, as intensely as I ever have and hopefully ever will again. You know, like it was just something where whatever it was that I was going through, this album had a way of perfectly, you know, in, encapsulating that and, you know, and, and, you know, and really validating however it was that I, that I felt at the time. So everything from just like deep sadness, regret, depression, hopelessness, all of that, um, you know, but also like joy and rebirth and, you know, and, and, and things unexpectedly getting better, you know, very quickly for this particular album. I feel this album as much as I hear it. It's difficult for me to adequately describe how bleak things were for me when, you know, when, when this album came out and, you know, there's been a couple of times where, you know, where I can say that, you know, that, that without, you know, reaching for, uh, I don't know, without at the risk of sounding a little dramatic, you know, I mean, there's been times where music has saved my life and this was one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just a tough time. You know, I mean, I, uh, I woke up uh, one, one morning in August of 2014 
And <clears throat> I realized at the time that I had a decision to make and it was, I'm either going to continue doing what I'm doing and it's going to kill me and it's going to kill me very soon, or I can try to do something different. And, you know, and it was really one of the things it was like, do I want to live or do I not want to live? And my desire to live was a hair more than my desire not to. Mm-hmm. And that was where I, <clears throat> that was where I came into contact with this album, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a pretty heavy experience still listening to it. <clears throat> to me, it's an absolute, you know, it's an absolute masterpiece. And, you know, yeah. I, I know that, I know that other people have, you know, other people have connections with, with this album and it was really cool to, you know, to find other people that, you know, that, that related to this album on such a visceral level in, in the same way. But that, that was my introduction to Lost in the Dream. Did you find this album to raise you up a little bit? Because I have looking in the rearview mirror when I've had tough times in my life, found myself listening to things that kind of maybe push me in the opposite direction that I really emotionally connected with. But in hindsight, it wasn't doing me a lot of favors. Was Lost in the Dream something that kind of pushed you in the right direction can you even sort of make sense of that whirlwind of 2014? It's kind of tough to be honest with you. And, you know, and, and the answer, the short answer to that is yes. You know, in that whether it brought me up or it kept me feeling, however it was that I was feeling like whatever, whatever that was is it was this weird way of validating where I was. And for whatever reason, what any type of hopelessness that I felt, it was almost like the, like the, it's going to be okay kind of thing. And for me, it wasn't particular song. Sometimes it was like phrasing that was inside of a song. Um, you know, like eyes to the wind, for example, has, um, you know, like this descending triad, you know, that happens like kind of during the chorus of the song. And it was like, just that phrase it's, you know, it's two seconds of the song, but it's, you know, that phrase that repeats and the way that the vocals come in and the way that that phrase accents that, it made me, it had such a huge emotional tug on me. As you set your eyes to the wind And you see me pull away again Have lost it all, my friend Just a bit run down here at the was the first thing in a long time that I got really excited about. And I think that maybe that was the thing about it that, you know, that that was so helpful to me is that I listened to it and was like, there's another world out there, Mm -hmm. you know, left, left to be discovered. And this is, you know, to me that the album was so undeniably great that it was something that I think that just for it being what it was, was part of the reason that it lifted me up. What, What you just said there, the idea of like, there's another world out there is something that has always struck me about this record. And I think, you know, this record came out of great pain for Adam. And and I think that there's a reason why you would connect with it in a period in life like that. It, it And it's something I was talking about with regards to like the end of Slave Ambient and the fact that Adam was still 
playing clubs where nobody knew who he was. He was opening up for a lot of other bands at this point in time. And he's writing songs that clearly have ambitions of being festival headliners or playing in Madison square garden. And it just seems ridiculous. I mean, how many other bands want to do that? But like how many bands actually get to do that? You know, and the reality of going from where he was at that age, you know, I'm now in my mid to late thirties. and like, you struggle at this age with a lot of like, well, I've, I've put myself where I'm at. And if there's a change you want to make, either a positive change or, or, or you're in a really challenging period in your life and you want to turn that around, it, it feels really daunting because it feels like you've put yourself in a place that you're at. And this record came out of three years of him suffering to make it and, and working beyond his means and working beyond his own personal limit, his own understanding of a studio. There's a lot of education that he had to go through to make this record. And these songs are so carefully and intricately built out of, I'm basically going for broke. You know, if this record doesn't land, he's, you know, he's on secretly Canadian, which has given him a bigger budget than what he's gotten. But like, it's really not going to go far if you can't actually make a good record. And you're basically going to be at a point where like, you've got to kind of do this yourself. Um, And so all these songs feel like life or death moments or life or death, you know, opportunities for him. The only thing I'll say just regarding that is, so when this record was introduced to me, I, I was, my wife and I went to South Korea to teach English for a second year and we used it basically as an opportunity to propel ourselves to travel around Southeast Asia. And I was backpacking, doing that through 2014 was, was a goal of ours. We were going to have kids at some point in the next couple of years, much sooner than we actually were planning for and thinking we were going to have, but that's life. <laughs> right. um, but we were, we were going to be over, overseas and we were going to come back. And our goal was to move back home to Chicago where all of our family was. And at some point when I was in Vietnam, I'd been out on the water for a couple of days. We, we like rented a houseboat. We were out there and we came back and I had an email from my mom that was just like, you have to call immediately. And I called and um, my, my uncle had suffered a catastrophic heart attack and he passed away. Mm. And my uncle and my dad, they're the exact same age apart as my brother and I are. And the two of them, there's, there's so many similarities between their relationship and my brothers and mine. And the war on drugs were a band that like kind of united us all. And we uh-huh. knew that they were coming to Chicago that September. We were all going, the four of us. Um, and then, and he's always, he was always someone I looked up to just like from the, from when I was a little kid. And so his passing, like I knew I couldn't go back home for any sort of a service. Like I was, I was overseas. His passing was this like just catastrophic moment for me of like, I'd never lost anyone close to me. And this record became for like the remainder of that year, this like tribute to him every time I put it on. And this moment of connection with my dad, with my brother, with my uncle who's now who knows where he is. And every time I put it on, it had this impact of like music is a lot of things, but at its heart, like it's an opportunity to connect with other people. Uh And this record that on a musical level ties to all of these eras of music that I've now come to love. And and it's done such an incredible job of elevating 1980s Americana music. But at its heart for me, like this is a small album for me. It's a really big album, but it's a really small album for me because it just showcased to me how important um, my family was and how important these relationships were. And um, 
you know, it would then be with me for the coming years. It was the first record I played for my son when we brought him home for the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, when my wife was going through um, treatment with can- for, for cancer, we were playing this record constantly because it was like an, uh, an inspiring record, even though kind of to your point, Justin, like when you're going through those challenging times, you don't really want something happy. You want something that's going to like keep grounding you. And this record did that while also giving me that sense of there is, there is something better. There is a better, a better world out there. So um yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It's 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 a record that um, if it hits you, it hits you with a ton of bricks, and it's the only way it's it's capable of doing it. I think that's a testament to how great these songs are and how great this is as a complete sort of piece of artwork. In that, you know, I I do not have John's 2014 experience. I don't have you, Brian, your experience with this album. I'm kind of like emotions free when it comes to lost in the dream, but like, I can't even listen to eyes to the wind and not get a little teary and get a little emotional. It's just that Mm -hmm. anthemic and must be that sneaky pedal steel guitar that he worked in there to (laughs) sort of like interplay with the piano that tugs at the heartstrings, but it's just such a grand song to me. Uh, And I want to shout out an ocean in between the waves just because uh, this is like the most Mark Knopfler-esque of all of his Mark Knopfler-esque songs, but also uh, it's really connected to Liquid Time, which is one of my favorite like Trey Mm. solo songs. Uh, But those three songs, Under the Pressure, An Ocean in Between the Waves, and Eyes to the Wind, like really just tug at my heartstrings. And that's just as an apolitical agnostic listener. So I can't imagine the connection that you guys have with this album, but incredible to say the least. I'm at the dark in Houston, and there's a haze right between the trees, and I can barely see you. You have the ocean. Should we jump ahead three years and get into the major label debut and all of the uh, the nerves and <laughs> the emotions that must have got along with that? Anyone have any other thoughts on uh, Lost in the Dream? I've got just a couple of more. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's always, sooner or later, always. you're going to have to you're going to have to cue the walk off music sooner or later. <laughs> I could talk about this album for a long time, but you mentioned a couple of songs, and you know. Um, Ice of the Wind is is was then is now you know the same way that Best Night is is Brian's favorite War on Drugs song. This is mine. Um, you know, it's something that I just every time I hear it, you know, it's 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 never lost any of its any of its luster. You know, the shine has never worn off of that song. Absolutely love it. You mentioned an ocean between waves. To me, it's like a submarine slowly climbing and then breaking the surface. You know, it's like you the way that that song builds, like it's just. Brian was talking about it and it's probably the best description that, you know, that I've, that I've heard of this is what would have been a collection of, you know, kind of ideas before now fully formed as a song. And then, you know, burning. If, if Bruce Springsteen had released the song in the mid eighties, it would have stayed number one for like weeks on end. Right. I mean, this almost seems like 
Yeah, you know what I mean? Like this song is so, so good. In fact, if you had put that song on for me and, and told me that, okay, in 1986, this was a Springsteen number one hit, it was number one for 13 weeks, would 100% have believed that. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And and it's a really good point, the Springsteen aspect, because I, I keep talking about Neil and, and Dylan. There's something else about what he did was, you know, Neil and Dylan looked like they're in these lost years in the 1980s. And, and the 80s for classic rockers felt like lost years overall. But Bruce Springsteen dominated the 1980s. Born in the USA is his most successful record he ever made. But he followed it up with a very small record about marital strife and about aging and domesticity and middle age crisis um, tunnel of love, which is at this point in my life, my favorite Bruce Springsteen record and is the record that sounds it's, it's, it's the record that sounds the most like a war on drugs record. And even though like dancing in the dark and burning, like those are, those live together in, in, in some realm of the musical universe, but like you put on, the, uh, tunnel of love and that that record sounds like something adam grantia would have made you know had he been recording records in the 1980s mm-hmm. well i'm glad to hear that somebody else likes that springsteen record the same way that i do it's by far <laughs> it's, by far my favorite of springsteen's brilliant springsteen. it's great after i listen to the uh the fish show that's gonna happen <laughs> tonight early tomorrow morning when i wake up from work i'm going to listen to tunnel of love for the first time i'll let you guys know what i think oh you'll love it you'll love it gated drums man you're gonna love you guys don't know me. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you'll, you're probably right. My my closing <laughs> thought on on this album is that on a ten point scale, this album is a fifteen. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like there yeah. are very few bands ever have or ever will write an album that's this this masterful. That's that's my kind of closing sentiment on it. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to it, and I'm right there with you. I could talk about this album for the next three and a half hours and, and still just have things to gush about. Um, when when the year ended, I, I made a top ten list, and this was my favorite album of the year without question. There was no thought in my mind. My number two album of the year, I don't even remember what it was offhand, and it was nowhere near as close uh, to to my number one. It was the biggest drop. It was Spoons, um, uh, whatever their record was from 2014. Um, it's like Gaga. It was the biggest. No, it was, um, I actually have my list. I, I put it in here. Let me just pull it up. My number two was Spoons, They Want My Soul. Number three was Sun Killed Moons, Benji. Four was St. Vincent. Five was Eno uh, and Carl Hyde, Hyde, High Life. And like, there's never been a bigger discrepancy, a bigger difference for me <laughs> between right. my number one and number two through five. I knew coming out of 2014 that this was probably going to be my favorite album of the decade, unless something came out that, absolutely shocked me and what ended up being my number two of the decade was an album that came out four years prior deer hunters halcyon digest and like oh, such a good album. it's it's a testament to the like I, there were a lot of great records released in the back half of the 2010s i don't want to discount any of them but for me personally nothing did more for me than this record i'm i i every time i hear this record it just it takes me back to time and place but it's also evolved with me in such a way 
what actually what I ranked my top albums of the decade for uh, for this podcast that I was listening to that did album rankings. When I did that, this was I mean it was not even it's not even close. This was this was my mm-hmm. favorite album of the decade. In fact, I think the St. Vincent album might might have been my second favorite. Interesting mm-hmm. that they both came out of the same year. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is you know uh, incredible. I mean, there was there was nothing that came anywhere close to, close to this album for me. Well. It turns out Lost in the Dream was pretty damn good. I think we are all in, <laughs> all in agreement. So uh, I, I move that we head forward into a deeper understanding. And it's interesting because if there is like a constant trajectory in the War on Drugs catalog, I feel like it's from Lost in the Dream to a deeper understanding. Yeah, there are some changes, but I feel like we're kind of on the same track. To me, it just comes across as maybe a little more mature because He's got the confidence to perhaps slow down in a couple of spots. The fact that like up all night, the opening track on a deeper understanding also starts off with the ringing, very clear, brilliant piano, like under the pressure does almost is like a a dot connector between those two albums. understanding to me sounds a lot like Wilco. Uh, and this is perhaps just my like major indie touch points, but I mean that in that it's a lot of that like fuzzy, almost kind of overblown guitar. But whereas in Wilco, like that's kind of the main attraction uh, at times, once you get past the incredible lyrics in a war on drugs, that guitar is just like one little element of everything else that's going on. And those elements include, again, the drums, which are so purposeful and momentous and forward moving. Uh, But also, you know, you have this deep baritone saxophone that you really start to recognize for me when I heard the live album, Live Drugs, but you guys probably recognize that when you saw the band perform live, but there are just so many layers to what's going on here. Uh, I would imagine as fellas who had a lot of connection to Lost in the Dream, when a deeper understanding came out, you were pleased. Maybe you thought initially like, okay, it's not Lost in the Dream, but I like what they're doing. How did you guys find this album when it did come out? So one thing I will note is I started Beyond the Pond podcast in 2017, uh, about six months before this came out with Dave Goldstein. In our first episode, we we talked about the Camden 99 Choctaw's Torture, and we were each picking songs that we thought related to it. And I picked uh, The War on Drugs Burning. And as we were talking through it, there's a moment you, if you listen, if you go back and listen to the very first episode, which I don't know if I'd recommend people do because the sound quality is terrible and we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but there's a moment where I say, uh, I'm talking about Lost in the Dream, and I was trying not to show my cards too early. We, he and I just like started recording together. And um, I go, you know, I think that this is a masterpiece. And Dave, in his way, just kind of very, uh, without question, just goes, oh, yeah, this is a total masterpiece. And um, I was like, okay, like in my head, I was like, I think we can actually do a podcast together. Um, So 
that happens a month later. The War on Drugs dropped their first single for this record, Thinking of a Place, which is an 11-minute masterpiece that basically combines everything the War on Drugs have ever tried to do in one track. They would go on to release five or four additional singles. Half the album was released before the record was released, which was a little bit of a strange process. A lot of bands were doing that in 2017. I'm not Uh sure why. So I, I felt a sense of like, I still don't know what this record is going into it because... I have to hear the whole thing. I have to hear it in chronicle, you know, and how, however he has sequenced it. But my thought going into this record was just like the pressure of making this record has to be immense. And it's really everything you, you work for, but you almost like, I would imagine as an artist that like, you're not going to turn away the success of lost in the dream, but you'd almost wish to have success over like a more minor record. Um, when you have to follow up something that's so monumental you know, on the one hand, you have all the money that you would ever need to make this record without any stress. You get to go out to LA and record in these amazing studios and you've got the time that you need and the luxury to say the record will come out when it's ready. It's not going to come out until it's ready. And now you have all this like control in your career. It's what we all dream about. Um, you have all the gear that you could ever dream of playing with. We need this sound. Cool. We'll get you what you need. You you can go out and you can buy this new pedal. We can get these uh, this new keyboard. We can get you know all these backing tracks. What, whatever we need to do. On the other hand, you have to follow up Lost in the Dream, and that <laughs> you can't just because you have the gear and because you have the money and because you have the time doesn't mean you're going to do it. I think ultimately getting to it is i think this is a very high quality album it's got very fully fully realized songs um an expertly placed jam it's got a perfectly melt perfect melding of their sound on in chains um a heavy emphasis on synths and ballage it, it slightly deters the record um just because it is a much slower record than what they've made before but to your point justin it, it feels like a lot of confidence that we can we can write these songs and we can play these songs in a live setting. I love this record. I think of it as a masterpiece, um, but it's not lost in the dream and it never will be. And that's not its fault. That's mine. Like that's, I, I just won't ever be able to hear a record that's not lost in the dream by the war on drugs and hear it the same way. I think it's a really proper follow-up. It captures that same magic that lost in the dream had it expands on it in some ways goes off into some interesting directions that in times don't work, but I think are still really noble exercises. And I think the most important thing about this record is that it it allows the band to help flesh out their gear and their live show, which on this record, I saw two shows on, on this tour. This is when they become one of the best bands in rock music. Um, There's a show that I saw from the Anthem in uh, Washington, D.C. It's on the Relisten app. I would encourage any listener out there to check it out. October 23rd, 2017. It's one of the best concerts I saw that year. It's one of the best concerts I've seen in the last 10 years. They, This is when the live drug sound starts to come to fore because they know now how to play these songs live. They have the gear and suddenly their entire catalog opens up in such a magical way.
Brian, you really said it the best. I mean, you know, how in the world do you follow up, you know, lost in the dream? I mean, that's, you know, there must've been a ton of pressure, but I mean, to me, this album, it really, it's stunning. You know, I mean, it's the, the production on this album is, is the best that they, that they have realized yet. The songwriting is fantastic. This album on its own really stands up with, you know, with, with the best of them. I really think that the first four songs on this album might, might be the, the best four song combo, you know, to, on, on, on one of their albums. It's really just a, a strong group and it culminates with uh, strangest thing, which is probably, you know, my, probably my highlight of the entire album. You, you mentioned thinking of a place and, you know, it's, it's a marathon, you know, and it, but it melts right into in chains, which is God, it's just so pretty, you know, both of those songs together. It's, you could not ask for a better middle part of an album. You don't have to go is both of you guys mentioned how strong their album closers are. This actually might be my favorite of their album closers. I really, really love this song. I debate this one with the others all the time because it's so, so good. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song, you know, and, and it's, it's full of great songs. And I'm inclined to believe that this would be my favorite of their records had Lost in the Dream not come out. Um, but because yeah. Lost in the Dream came out, it's, you know, it's probably not even my second favorite. Um, yeah. You know, and it's really interesting the way that that works out. You know, what I'm left with is there, it's a great album by a band that I really love, you know, and the rest, you know, the, the rest is what it is, right? So listening, listening to this, you know, this time, I've never put this album on and not loved it, but you know, to your point, it's not lost in the dream. It's similar to lost in the dream and, you know, but it's still a great record. It's interesting on this album because there are those purposeful slow spots that I kind of mentioned. Like for me, you know, tracks four and five strangest thing, which is a great song and then knock down purposeful, like pumping the brakes uh, but then the payoff hits in track six, nothing to find because it's like, whoa, hold, let me hold on to my like seat because all of a sudden after two kind of dirges, we're like off to the races. then he does finish the album with two more to me kind of slower songs and clean living and and you don't have to go and you know different strokes for different folks it's funny that john you're saying like oh you don't have to go track 10 might be your favorite album closer for me that was one of the three tracks on this album that i was like eh, i gotta take it or leave it so you just never know you never know what's gonna hit and and how it's going to hit, but uh, I, I do like the idea of especially a deeper understanding as a complete piece of music where there is some inherent payoff as you're going from track to track to track and looking at it, you know, in some total as opposed to just uh, individual songs, which is interesting since Brian, you mentioned that they were like dishing out four or five singles. And I guess this is a good opportunity for us to pivot into maybe what we're looking for in the next album, because as of time of recording, we have only heard of two tracks from the new album. I think it was the first track that came out, not the one with the backing vocals from Lucius, but the other one, I was struck by how clear it was, how straightforward it was, how almost stripped down the Adams vocals sounded. It just sounded like kind of, he was setting the stage for maybe an album where he is going to, say a little more in a more forthright manner. 
I'll say this. If the title track is any indication, uh, then we're in for probably what's going to be a, a pretty different look. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to me, it sounds like the, the song that was released, it, it sounds like it would be the type of song that John Hughes would write a movie around. You know, like it is a very 80s sounding. And I, and I, I know that that probably doesn't sound like a compliment, but I mean it as one. It's big production. It's layer after layer of melody and of just sonic texture. So cool. And then they turn around and do Living Proof, which is completely different into the spectrum. It's relatively stripped down. It's acoustic guitar and piano and vocals for the first half of the song. The drums and keys are layered in for the second half. I will say I caught the same thing that you did. Adam's vocals, it is the best he has sounded, best recorded version of his vocals that I've ever heard is on, yeah. is on that particular song. And I mean, man, is that song good. You know, like I listened to that. I was like, God, more of this, please. Like, so I, I, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I think that they're at a really interesting crossroads. And I, I'm really curious to see how this album informs what their next direction is going to be. Um, the War on Drugs, to me, uh, for everything I've said like and heaped praise and will continue to heap praise on, um, the one thing that the War on Drugs have yet to do, which is probably my favorite thing that any band does, is make that directional change record, that the complete... Wilco made it with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Radiohead made it with with Kid A. U2 made it with Octune Baby. Um, you know, where an artist is finding so much success in a particular genre and they essentially reach the end point of what they can do. And rather than make that record over and over again, they decide to do something completely different. It throws them in a completely different direction, showcases new influences, a new voice for them. And it, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, usually prolongs their career for another decade or so, because now is another style of music to mine. And at some point you can go back to the original style if you want to, or you can keep examining this new, you know, these new directions you're going in. And the war on drugs have never done that. And I don't really expect them to. And I don't know how much I want to hear like a kid, a version of the war on drugs. I mean, maybe I do, maybe their studio experimentations would be fascinating in that sort of standpoint, but like the singles kind of give me a sense that we're going in a more Springsteen like direction where the diversions would be more in line with Nebraska tunnel of love, human touch, lucky town rather than an overt, desire to to like experiment in kind of a brash way so i'm really i'm really interested to hear this record i mean adam is a new dad and hanging out here on a very dad podcast like recording with with another dad you know in in another podcast like to me hearing what adam has to say about fatherhood a guy who already like has been pegged as a dad rocker for at least a decade before he became a father himself. I cannot wait to hear his thoughts on, you know, even if it's my own interpretation, but like what it's like at three o'clock in the morning when you are tired beyond all belief, you still have to go to work the next morning because, you know, this is America and we have kids and we just immediately go back to our jobs. Um, You're in like total love with this little person that can't say a word to you and doesn't show you in some cases that they love you, but also you're like, you are the reason why I am so exhausted and stressed out all the time right now. Um, And that like competing feeling of love and exhaustion is like my favorite thing about being a parent. It's like that, that feeling is, there's nothing like it and there's nothing that can prepare you for it. And there's nothing that 
can replicate it in any sort of way. And if you don't know, you, you just simply don't know. And, and Adam's music has always been like a bomb for me in that. And so knowing that he's going to make this music coming out of that experience, I, I can't wait to hear it. It's, it's almost too perfect. I think it might be a little obvious, but in my head, I sort of have like a Sturgill Simpson sailor's guide to earth pivot in mind in, you know, of course with that album, there was like a real sonic change uh, a huge sonic change. And maybe we'll get a little bit of that, but my takeaway from a sailor's guide to earth is just the overt. I'm your father. I love you. Here are things I want to say out loud and sort of put them on paper. And I maybe am crossing my fingers that there's a little more of that, like directness in his lyrics. Uh, now that he's got like a target perhaps uh, for, you know, for, for his words. So we'll, We'll see what happens. Uh, Got to admit, I uh, had no idea until I was doing a little Wikipedia-ing uh, that, that he had said baby with the actress uh, Kristen Ritter from uh, The Bee in Apartment 23, uh, as well as uh, some some Netflix superhero show that I'm not totally aware of. I feel like my wife watched it, but I, I didn't realize that he was like a Hollywood. He's you know, we're going to see him in entertainment weekly, like stars. They're just like us. And it's going to be him getting thrown up on at the park on the sidewalk. He's been on the red carpet. It, um, she was uh, Jane in breaking bad season two as well. Oh yeah. That's oh, okay. his girlfriend. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, he married a superhero. All right. Good for him. <laughs> Well, usually the uh, album rankings portion of our podcast, Brian, is where John and I politely disagree with each other and <laughs> sort of diverge on our own paths. But uh, I'm looking at the notes here, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I'll be darned. Uh, Lost in the Dream, numero uno, uh, Slave Ambient, number two, A Deeper Understanding, number three, and Wagon Wheel Blues, number four. So well done. We've we've solved the riddle of which War on Drugs albums are the best. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll go back real quick and just say that, you know, I do believe that if Lost in the Dream had not happened, that A Deeper Understanding would be number one, Slave Ambient number two, and Wagon Wheel Blues would be number three. That's how I would rank them without Lost in the Dream. When I was originally writing and I was like, well, is A Deeper Understanding the second one? And when I, when I listened back through them, it was just, I enjoyed Slave Ambient more. You know, but I, but I really think that that was because you know I think there's part of me that is a little uh, a little sullied by uh, by Lost in the Dream in the best possible way. Yeah, I think because we have the exact same ranking, and I think my logic basically comes down to nothing will top Lost in the Dream um, if they if they are capable. And, and I'm not going to say ne- I'm never going to say never because um, as a as a lifelong fan of Bob Dylan. Like I did not expect Bob Dylan to make a great record past modern times. I thought that that had gone, gone by the wayside and his career was just kind of, you know, a live show at this point and, and some interesting musical diversions, but nothing that was going to ever top or come up to, to his best music at the past. He released one of my favorite records of his in 2020 at the, uh, at the age of, of 80, which is just stunning stuff. So it's always possible, but where they're at right now, listening to lost in the dream. That's that's, that is the record for me. And then slave ambient, the fascination I have with it is what I was talking about before that ambition exceeding the ability. And that is something that will continuously bring me back to those first two records. Um, A deeper understanding sounds to me like a band that 
has fully realized their sound. And I don't want to say they've reached a dead end or even a cul-de-sac. Like it's a band that is fully accomplishing everything that they can do. And in some cases I would rather have the rawness than that moment of full, a full accomplishment. And I think that that's the one thing that puts it just slightly below slave ambient for me. Well, uh, Brian, we really appreciate your thoughts. We really appreciate your time. We know you've got 11 podcasts to host and edit and, <laughs> and, uh, and deal with. Uh, obviously, we're, we're big fans of, of your work and all of your colleagues' work. So uh, thanks for making the time to, to hang out with us and, and talk about the war on drugs. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. You guys are both amazing dudes. I love uh, your podcast. I've been listening to it since it launched and I, I, I really appreciate you having me on. This was awesome. I really appreciate you being here. I could say in full earnestness, you know, were it not for, uh, you know, for beyond the pond and for what you and Dave did, I certainly wouldn't be doing this. So that was a, you know, hugely inspirational for me and you guys yeah, opened you. up, opened up my eyes to music that I would have never listened to that I absolutely love. So I, I really appreciate that. So, so on a personal note, that. thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and please feel free to leave a review. We have read them all. You can also find us on Twitter at Listen Deeper or on Instagram at Deeper underscore listening underscore podcast. We'd love to know what you think, what you like, and what you don't. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you, as always, to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Get into a better mood indeed. Check out his Bandcamp page blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. Talk to you next time.